As you're being seated, I want to say uh, welcome to Ignite, whether you're joining us in person or joining us uh, online at a later time, I want to say, man, thanks for being here. It's good to be with the people of God in the house of God, amen? It's good to gather with God's people. If you have your Bibles open to Psalm 6, we are uh, this summer, if you're just joining us uh, here or online, uh, we are working through the Psalms, not the entire book, but we're selecting 10 of the main categories, representative types of Psalms. And the book of Psalms is the largest book in your Bible, right in the middle of your Bible, and it is the prayer book of God's people. For literally 3,000 years, uh, Jews and Christians alike have prayed the Psalms. The Psalms are unique because it's mostly uh, human words prayed to God, so we can resonate deeply with the Psalms, but it is also God's word to us and for our good. So Psalm 6 is where we're going to be as we continue in our Psalm series today. And as you're turning there, as you're finding that... um, Something that's been on my heart uh, is, is this. I, I don't know about you, but I think more than ever, at least in my lifetime, this world is searching for what is true. What do I believe? What is true? In the age of all these different perspectives and conflicting media reports and friends and family that are divided on key issues concerning man race and sexuality and human well-being and worldview what's true facebook doesn't have it the evening news doesn't have what is true our culture does not own the market on truth in fact just this week i had uh, three pastoral conversations with members in our church And the bulk of the conversation was, I just don't know what to believe. What is true? Can I encourage you with this? God's word is truth. God's word is truth. Psalm 19, we looked at it a few weeks ago. The psalmist says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The precepts of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3 says, let God be true as though everyone were a liar. Jesus in John 17, as he's praying for his disciples, as he's praying for the church, Jesus asks the Father to sanctify his people in truth. God's word is truth, John 17, 17. So when we open the word of God today in Psalm 6, I want you to know that when we come to the word, you don't have to expend mental energy discerning what is true and what is false in the word of God. Because the word of God comes from the true, eternal God who cannot and does not lie. God's word is true. And God's word is righteous altogether. God's word is eternal, not just ancient. God's word is timeless, so it is always timely for us. God's word is true, amen? God's word is true. And it's with that backdrop... We look at Psalm 6. Psalm 6 is a psalm of lament. It's a psalm of King David who wrote uh, the majority of the psalms. King David was a mighty warrior king, but he was also a singer-songwriter. He was a poet. 
And he wrote many of the Psalms as prayers to God, but Psalm 6 is a psalm of lament of King David. We're going to read all 10 verses uh, here. Psalm 6, verse 1, follow along with me. David says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing, literally dried up. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love or your covenant promise. For in death there is no remembrance of you, and Sheol, who will give you praise, I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. My eyes waste away because of Grief, it grows weak because of all my foes. Verse 8, depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This is the true word of God. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray today that you would Give your people what you know your people need. You know better than I do where your people are at in this moment. You know better than I do what's going on in our hearts. So Lord, I pray the truth of your word would permeate hearts today, that it would comfort those who are in anguish and suffering. And God, ultimately, that Jesus would be exalted in your word because your word is fulfilled in the person and work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Psalm 6, a psalm of lament. Did you know that roughly one-third, roughly 50 of the 150 psalms in your Bible are psalms of lament? Of the over dozen categories and types of psalm represented in the book of Psalms, roughly a third of them are lament. Whether individually or collectively as a group, God's people throughout the history of the world have lamented in prayer before God. What do you think that says about the character and nature of our God? That, that he would be so intentional and gracious to include some 50 unique prayers of lament and burden and brokenness in his word. Psalms of lament. In the Psalms of lament... Uh, God's people bring a troubled situation before God in prayer. And that's what we see King David doing in Psalm 6. Here's what you need to know today. Here's the big idea today. It is this. You can bring your burden to God. The big idea of Psalm 6 is that you can bring your burden to God. It's what David did. In the Psalter, there are uh, five books within the book of Psalms. It's kind of like biblical inceptions, books within the book, okay? And the first book, first 43 Psalms in the Psalter, includes mostly Psalms that were written during the early portions of David's life. You can read it in the second half of 1 Samuel, the early parts of David's life. If you're familiar with the story, King David was anointed king of Israel, but there was currently at that time, a, a king on the throne named King Saul. 
King Saul, not a good dude. Okay, he was the first of Israel's kings and he was a failure. But King David is anointed to take Saul's throne once Saul passes away and Saul is jealous of David. Right, David says, look, God anointed me. I'm not trying to take your job, but uh, God has called me to take the throne. He's anointed me to take the throne. And so David, he's serving Saul and working in Saul's service, waiting to uh, arise to power and sit on the throne of Israel. King Saul grows jealous. And we know that most of and 1 Samuel is this record of David running from his boss, King Saul, because King Saul is so jealous and overtaken with envy that he's trying to literally kill David. And many scholars and theologians believe that the first section of Psalms records or are written during this time in David's life. David is on the run from King Saul, and rightfully so, he's lamenting. He's lamenting. He speaks of his foes that are rising up against him. King David feels lonely. He's driven away from God's presence. Saul chased him into the wilderness. And for years, he's isolated away from his friends, family, fighting for a job or a throne that's rightfully his. And so he's lamenting. He brings his troubled situation before God. What about you? What burden are you holding on to today that you ought to bring to God? Maybe that's a sin issue in your life. But not just that. Man, what's keeping you up at night? What's stressing you out? What is weighing on you and causing anxiety? What's going on in your marriage that's burdening you? What's going on at work that's troubling you? What's going on in your own heart? Maybe unbelief, these doubts about the character of God that you've never wrestled with before that you're burdened by. What burden do you need to bring to God? You can bring your burden to God in prayer. David did. God's people have and you can today. In fact, that's the invitation of Jesus because in Matthew 11, Jesus says to all people, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light, Jesus says. What burden do you need to bring to God today? And Psalm 6 gives us a pattern for praying and bringing our burden to God. David teaches us in the first three verses of Psalm 6 that we are to bring our burden entirely before God. Bring your burden entirely before God. Verse 1, David says, he begins his prayer by saying, Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. What's going on here? Uh, David has a posture of humility before God. David understands that, yes, I can bring my burden to God, but I'm not to forget the character of the God to whom I'm bringing my burden. He's humble. He begins in humility. He says, God, if there's any wrongdoing, don't discipline me in your wrath. If there's any sin in my life, don't, don't correct me in your anger. It's the posture of humility. Here's what I found. A posture of humility before God helps guard against hardness of heart. 
A posture of humility helps guard against hardness of heart. When you are humble before God, when you understand that he is the creator, the sovereign over our suffering, and we are the creature subject to his will and his good pleasure, when we humbly acknowledge that, it protects against hardness of heart. And so David comes humbly before God. And here his prayer of lament begins in verses 2 through 3. He appeals to the kindness of God. He says, be gracious to me, O Lord. I'm languishing. I'm dried up. I'm exhausted. I'm burdened. I'm broken. Heal me, O Lord. My bones are troubled. My soul is also greatly troubled. I want you to look at two words, bones and soul. Bones and soul. You need to know that God created human beings in his image, two parts, body, material, and soul, immaterial. Body and soul. And in the Old Testament, the biblical authors saw no dichotomy between the physical and the spiritual. David and the Israelite biblical authors believed that the two, body and soul, material and immaterial, were so interconnected that when you were suffering physically, it also had impact on your spirit and your soul. And likewise, when you're burdened internally, it starts to have physical effects on your well-being. They saw them as interconnected, so it's good to understand this as David bringing his whole self to God. David says, my soul, my bones, my, my whole body, and physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, relational, I am exhausted and I am burdened. He brings his burden to God entirely. I'll give you an example. Um, I don't know if any of you have maybe a friend or for you this is a spouse or a family member uh, where it doesn't matter what's going on in your life, but you can bring your troubled situation to that person and they'll hear you out. It doesn't matter whether it's a physical issue, spiritual, mental, emotional, but you can bring your entire self to that person. They'll listen, they'll, they'll walk with you, they'll pray with you, they'll bear that burden. It doesn't matter what it is. They just want to be present with you. They just want to carry that burden with you. They just want to hear what's going on in your life and carry that for you and with you. That's a reflection of the character of God toward his people. Whether it's physical exhaustion or sickness that you're wrestling with, whether it's spiritual doubt and uncertainty or darkness, whether it's emotions, whether it's mental issues going on, God says, bring your burden to me. Bring your entire self to me. This is what David did, and he ends this section by asking an open-ended question, but you, O Lord, how long? David looks out into the world. David looks into his own heart. He sees his enemies surrounding him. He sees his boss trying to kill him. In just at a moment of despair, he says, God, how long are you going to allow this to keep happening to me? Verses 4 through 5, David brings his burden to God seriously. He says, turn, O Lord, and deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. He appeals to the character of God. He says, God, I know you are steadfast in love. Save me on the basis of that steadfastness. 
Verse 5, in death there's no remembrance of you, and Sheol who will give you praise. I don't know about you, but when you're reading, especially the Old Testament, it can be difficult to resonate entirely with what's going on. Right? If we're just honest here, we're a group of believers, and we're, we're, if you read the Bible, uh, it, it's, it's, it's difficult sometimes. Look, I've been there reading through the book of Leviticus. Like, I very rarely resonate with the three chapters on law concerning bodily discharges and leprous diseases. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not, that's not a take it and apply it and run type of context. It's difficult to resonate with. And I would say this, even the, the parts of the Bible we think we resonate with, maybe we don't fully understand. I think this is one of those passages Turn, O Lord, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Absolutely, we get that. For in death there's no remembrance of you. In, in Sheol, okay, who, who will give you praise? Yeah, I think, that, I think that makes sense. But understand that in the Old Testament, there was no theology of God's personal presence after death with his people. They had no theology of God's personal presence in the afterlife. That only developed later in the intertestamental period, just uh, some hundred years before Jesus came onto the scene. And so when David is praying, in death there's no remembrance of you, in Sheol who will give you praise, David says, look, I have no comfort in death. I have no comfort after this life. Says God, if Saul takes my life, if I die from this sickness and this suffering, there'll be no remembrance of you. Right? We think of Paul in the New Testament who says, To live is Christ and to die is gain. David didn't have that worldview at the time this psalm was written. And knowing this, he brings his burden to God. Seriously, urgently, sober-mindedly. I just have to wonder and lament at how often in my own life I bring my burden to God with such indifference. You know, God, hopefully, if it's your will, you would heal me, or God, I... If you would so desire, Lord, would you consider restoring this relationship or just this indifference? David gives us a model to bring our lament to God in all seriousness. He says, this is a matter of life and death. And God, I know you will act because you are steadfast in love. It's good to appeal to the character of God and pray with full confidence that he will act. God has done it before. He will surely do it again. God has been faithful yesterday. He's faithful today. He'll continue to be faithful for all generations. David brings his burden seriously. Verses 6 through 7, he brings his burden to God honestly. Men, this is kind of an uncomfortable scripture for us. Can we be honest here? Let's read it. I'm weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears, I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. 
This is David, who is the ideal, victorious king of Israel, a manly man in Israel's history. And he comes honestly before God and says, I am tired because I'm weeping so much. That's how burdened I am by my situation. This is a high man brought low by the reality of pain, suffering, and evil in our world. Do you resonate with this? Maybe some of you today, you're, even for the first time, resonating with Scripture like you've never resonated before. Maybe for the first time, you're realizing that it's okay to not be okay in the Christian walk. It's okay to not have all the answers walking with Jesus. It's okay to wrestle with doubt. It's okay to ask the open-ended question, how long, O Lord? It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to carry sorrow and grief sometimes. Much more could be said, but as I was preparing this week, it weighed heavily on my heart just to give some of you some encouragement today that need to hear this. For those of you that are really walking through suffering in this moment, for those of you that are really lamenting in this moment, let me say this, three things. One, you need the people of God and the people of God need you. God has given the gracious gift of his church, the community of believers, to bear your burden with you and for you, to pray with you, to stand in the gap where you are not strong enough to stand. You need the people of God. And let me say this, the people of God need you. The story, the tapestry of the suffering that you're experiencing that God is weaving together is for the good of the people of God. Man, the church needs your story. The church needs the comfort that you'll be able to bring to people who will suffer in the future. We need you and you need the people of God. Second, God binds up the brokenhearted. Psalm 147 says, God is near to the brokenhearted. He binds up the broken heart. God's not mad at you in Christ. God, like a good father, wants to, wants to heal you and bind up your broken heart. And lastly, let me encourage you with this. Our God is a suffering and sovereign God. What do I mean by that? Our God entered into our suffering in the person and work of Jesus Christ who suffered innocently under the wrath of God for sin. He's acquainted with our suffering, but God is also sovereign over our suffering. He's working all things, evil and good, for the good of his people. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be honest before God. This psalm ends in an interesting, on an interesting note. It ends with a voice of confidence. We don't know if there were some events that happened between verses 7 and 8 where David came back and finished the psalm after seeing the deliverance of God or maybe just maybe it's David having faith and confidence in the provision of God even when he can't see it that he wrote the end of the psalm. We don't quite know but nonetheless David brings his burden confidently after wrestling with God in prayer. 
Here's what verses eight through 10 say. David says, depart from me, all you workers of evil, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. He's heard my plea and he accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. God hears your cry. Maybe in this room you feel just like another number or anonymous person in a crowd full of people. Maybe if you're watching this online, you just feel alone in your living room at your computer. You feel broken and alone. Let me tell you this. God hears. This is why David in Psalm 139, after wrestling with God, he poses the question, God, where can I go from your presence? If I ascend to the heights, you are there. If I go to the depths, you're also there. God is near to the brokenhearted. He's with you today. He hears your prayer. He accepts your cry. He hears you. He's with you. I want to wrap up by looking at verse 10. This kind of has battle language. This was definitely written by an Israelite king who, he had physical enemies. Long after Saul died, King David would fight for the safety and protection of Israel. To the south, David had the geopolitical threat of Egypt. To the east, the rising Assyrian Empire. Just to the north, he had the Amalekites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and all those fun words. He had all these enemies. He had physical enemies, but how many of you know that David wrote not just for his own time, but by the supernatural inspiration, guidance of the Holy Spirit, wrote beyond his own time for the good of God's people throughout history that would come after him. And so today, while we might not have physical enemies, I'm not talking geopolitical threats as a nation, but Scripture speaks of enemies in the unseen realm. These enemies that aren't visible but are very real. These spiritual enemies. These supernatural enemies. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, our war is not against flesh and blood, what we can see, but against the principalities and the powers of darkness, what we cannot see. Some of you, you just feel like you've been fighting a battle. You know, your job's going okay. The bank account's sitting all right. The family's fine, but you just feel this weight. It's like you're in a war. And I'll say this, it's because you're in a war in the unseen realm. 1 Peter 5, one of the New Testament epistles by one of the apostles, uh, Peter says, your enemy, Satan, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You're at war for your faith. You're at war for your worldview. You're at war for your family. You're at war for your mental and emotional well-being. You're at war. We can resonate with David. I want to close by going to Colossians chapter 2. should be on the screen behind me as well. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. This is the Apostle Paul, some 600 years after uh, King David wrote Psalm 6. The Apostle Paul writing, 
And he's reflecting on the work of the cross. Jesus came and he lived a sinless life. He died the death that we deserve to die. And he rose again. He's now ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father, commissioned the church to make disciples of all nations. And this is what Paul is reflecting on, the work of Christ. I want to invite you with Paul as we conclude to look to the cross of Christ in your lament. Look to the cross of Christ in your lament. Bring your burden before God. Bring your burden before the cross of Christ. As he reflects on the work of the cross, he says this, And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Look at verse 15. Spiritual enemies, enemies in the unseen realm. Verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Here's what you need to know. Your sin is forgiven at the cross of Christ. Verse 13. Your debt is paid at the cross of Christ. Verse 14. <clears throat> and verse 15. The spiritual war is won at the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ disarmed the rulers of the kingdom of darkness. So we can now say with David, because of the cross... My enemies will turn back and be ashamed. Why? Because of the cross of Christ. You can bring your burden to God in prayer. And when you do, you will find that the cross of Christ has carried your burden in your place. Would you pray with me? Father, you are good beyond what our minds can comprehend. You are good. Father, you knew that suffering would enter your world. You knew that suffering and disease and brokenness and oppression and poverty and division would overtake your people. But God, you, in your infinite mercy and kindness, entered into our suffering in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who's familiar with our suffering because he lived a sinless life suffering under the law for your people. It's your son Jesus who died the death that we deserve to die because of sin. But it's Jesus who triumphing over the enemies of sin, Satan, darkness, the wrath of God rose again to give new life to all who have placed their faith in him. This is good news. So Father, today we bring our burden to you fully. We bring our burden to you seriously. We bring our burden to you humbly. And ultimately, we bring our burden to you confidently. The cross of Christ carried our burden. And it's for that we thank you and praise you. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.